In our study of Colossians, last week we looked at instructions for husbands and wives. Today we look at instructions for parents. So we'll be reading Colossians 3, verse 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't be discouraged. We're so blessed to have so many school teachers in our church. I, I appreciate you folks. I know that not only are you giving a sacrificial amount of your heart and life to children, but most of you are doing it as the lowest paid professional people in our land. So I have found that for most school teachers, it's more a calling than a career. But if you were to go to our school teachers and say, what do you need most? Do you need better buildings? Do you need better curriculum? I believe our school teachers would unanimously say that what they need to do their job better is better parents. The question they have on their mind is not, can my children learn? But when they know the situation where these kids are coming from, they think to themselves, how can these kids survive? Because the parenting will determine what happens to a nation. We build a better nation when we build better homes. And some of the worst examples from our history came from bad homes. I'll give you one example and I'm going to read it to you. One man was raised by a dominating woman who found it difficult to love anyone. She had been married three times. Her second husband divorced her because she beat him up regularly. His, third was, uh, his, his father was the third husband, and that husband died of a heart attack before the child was born. His mother worked long hours to pay bills and gave him no affection or discipline. He did not fit in with other kids at the school and became a loner. He often got into fights. When he was 13, the school psychologist wrote that he did not know the meaning of the word love. He dropped out of high school and joined the Marines. He was court-martialed for resisting authority and fighting with fellow Marines and received a dishonorable discharge. He was small, scrawny, and friendless in his early 20s. He tried to gain acceptance by running to another country but was rejected there. He married a single mother in that country, brought her back with him. They had two children. But this wife began to bully him like his mother. She could outfight him and would lock him in the bathroom as punishment. Finally, she asked him to leave. When he begged her to take, back, take him back, she refused. The next day, he got a rifle, went to the building where he worked, and shot John F. Kennedy. His name was Lee Harvey Oswald. Folks, the homes that we are building are crucial. Now... I'm going to share some parenting things, but before I get to that, I've got a Chuck Colson quote that I need to hear, and I believe all of us parents need to hear. Chuck Colson said, guilt is an occupational hazard of parenting. We have raised our kids. We have our 15th grandchild on the way, and as I look back on my parenting, there's so much I would do differently. I need grace, and I'm glad that the Bible offers grace. But we are going to share some principles that are found in his word that I believe will be helpful to every parent. First thing I want you to notice is that one of our main duties as parents is to make sure our children learn how to obey. Children, obey your parents in all things. We're to teach our children how to obey. Now, why is it that helping a child learn to obey is one of our top priorities? Let me give you several reasons. Number one, children are born without a sense of boundaries. Children are born without a sense of boundaries. 
Toddlers will walk into the streets if you're not watching over them and they would be in danger. Toddlers will put things in their mouth that could harm them if you're not watching over them. I've got her mama in the room, but we've kept a one-year-old granddaughter the last two nights. And last night, Karen had to be on the phone. She asked me, watch her for a minute. I watched her reach up and take the soap and put it directly in her mouth before I could do anything about it. Fortunately, it was only soap. But children don't know boundaries. You have to teach them boundaries. Um... Setting boundaries and enforcing them is a blessing to the children. I relied heavily, my wife and I relied heavily on James Dobson and his teaching when we were raising children. James Dobson used this analogy as to why we parents should set boundaries and enforce them. He said this, suppose there's a policeman whose job is to go down Main Street at night after everything is closed. One of the things he will do is he'll go up and he'll touch every single store door and make sure that it's locked. He, he checks the lock hoping that it's locked because if he reaches for the door and it's not locked, something is wrong. And what Dobson said is wherever you put the wall, you need to know your kids are going to make a beeline to that point. And they're going to test it out because when they find that that wall is secure, that gives them a security to know that their life is is sure and in certain ground because the boundaries have been set. A second reason why we've got to help our children obey is that children need to learn that there are consequences to actions. If they don't face consequences in their home for wrong actions, later when they're in as adults, they may think they can get away with things. And it'll be much more harmful for them. They could go to jail or something worse. So we've got to make sure that not only do we discipline them, but especially as they get older, we explain why and what the consequences are and why they are are for their good. When Sarah was a teenager, we had a rule at that time that if you brought an F home from school, you lost TV privileges for 30 days. Well, she made an F at Hendersonville. I got a call from a teacher the next day and said, Uh, She was supposed to get you to sign it. Your signature is on the paper, but I recognize your signature, and that's not it. So so I pulled Sarah aside that that next day after school, and I said, now, Sarah, your teacher called me, and I understand. You know, you didn't want to lose your your TV privileges for 30 days. Let's get this out of the way. You've lost your TV for 30 days. But can we talk? Because you're 16 now. And what I want you to see is... What will happen later on if something like this happens? Let's say that you're working for someone and there's something that you cover up or lie about because it'd be uncomfortable if your boss found out about that and then the boss discovers it. You're probably going to lose your job. And if you're relying on that job for the income for your family, that could put you in a bad way. Or suppose it's 10 years from now and you're married and there's something that you cover up with your husband. Maybe it's not big, but it would be uncomfortable for him to know. And he finds out the first thought in his mind will be, is there anything else out there she's lied about? And you've sown seeds of distrust that could eventually end your marriage. We've got to win this battle now because it only gets more important later. But the third thing about why we've got to teach our children to obey is this. Obedience helps children know what things are important. Obedience helps children know what things are important. Now, I'll give you one of my pet peeves. Occasionally, I have people say something like this to me. I don't make my kids go to church. My parents made me go to church. I resented it. If they wake up and say, Mom, I'm tired on Sunday morning, I let them stay home. 
Now, usually when somebody says that to me, I say this to them. Have your kids ever woke up on a school day and said, you know, I don't want to go to school. I feel tired this morning. Do you say, listen, my parents made me go to school and I resented it. You don't have to go. No, you say, get yourself up, put your clothes on. You are going to school because you think school is important. You tell them you brush your teeth because you think brushing your teeth is important. Do you see that? So what we enforce is what we feel is important. And that helps them discover what is important. Now I'm going to spend the next part of the sermon talking about common mistakes that are made in parenting. And once again, I want to say there's no perfect parenting because no two children are the same. And I'll get to that in a minute. But let me give you common mistakes. Number one, parents make a mistake when they let things go and don't set and enforce boundaries. Parents make a mistake when they let things go and don't set and enforce boundaries. And can we be honest? It's easier to let things go. It's tiring to constantly be watching your children and setting the boundaries and lovingly enforcing them. Uh, There's an interesting verse in Proverbs 13 that's often misquoted. But let me read to you what it actually says. The one who will not use the rod hates his son. Didn't say spoils. It said, hates his son, but the one who loves him will disciplines him diligently. It takes far more love to be consistent in enforcing, setting and enforcing boundaries than just to let things go, even though it is tiring. Dr. Stanley Cooper Smith is the associate professor of psychology, or was the associate professor of psychology at the University of California. He suffered, he surveyed 1,738 normal middle-class boys and girls, beginning in pre-adolescent period, followed them through young adulthood. He found that those children with high self-esteem came from parents who did two things, gave them both affirmation and were strict in their boundaries. So the kids that came out with self-esteem had affirmation and had parents who were strict in their boundaries. And that brings me to a second common mistake, The second common mistake is giving them only discipline with no encouragement. Giving them only discipline with no encouragement. That's found in our text. Look at Colossians 3, 21 again. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. We can't break their spirit. In fact, one of the books that shaped me that was written by James Dobson, the title is very informative, How to Shape the Will without breaking the spirit. How to shape the will without breaking the spirit. And he gave this great insight. He said, when you're raising children, you don't punish childhood irresponsibility. You only punish childhood defiance. For instance, if your child spills the milk at the table, you don't punish a child for being a child. My wife has a saying, our kids have all heard it. It's not a meal without a spill. And that now works with our grandkids as well. So you don't punish it. You may be angry because they made a mess, but you don't do that. You don't punish them for just being a child. Now, if a child were to take a glass of milk and do like this, that might be a different thing. But uh, in defiance. But, but we've got to be careful to distinguish between the two. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, gave this analogy. During much of my college years, I worked for a store that had a large part of trade with the rodeo cowboys in Southern California. I learned that there are at least two ways to break a horse. 
One is the progressive use of a halter, bit, blanket, and saddle. Done correctly, this can produce a full-spirited, obedient horse. Another way is sometimes used with especially difficult horses. The method is simple. The wrangler simply takes a two-by-four and knocks the recalcitrant horse to its knees. A horse, it is said, can be tamed that way, but with great cost. You will have a spiritless animal. Even though he will be obedient, he will never be what he could have been. So yes, we're to enforce boundaries, but we're also to bring great encouragement and affirmation to our children. Justin made a point when we were working through this. He said, you can remember anything somebody said to you that was hurtful 10 years ago. You won't remember the compliments, but you'll remember what is hurtful. I know of people who are older adults who remember the harmful things said by their parents that were said in anger. We, we've got to balance it with encouragement. We've got to bring affirmation. Now, we're not using this story downstairs because they don't know this man's name, but those of you my age will know the name Fran Tarkenton. He was a great quarterback for the uh, Vikings. Uh, before that, all of them were pocket passers like Johnny Unitas that sat back and just threw. He was the first great scrambling quarterback. One day, his coach, Bud Grant, called a play that required him to throw a block for it to be successful. Now, you don't ask quarterbacks to throw blocks. You protect them. But he threw himself into that defensive player and just laid him out. The next day at practice, he was waiting for the coach to compliment him, and the coach said nothing. He said, Coach, did you see my block? Yes. Why haven't you said something? He said, it was just your duty to throw that block. He said, well, if you don't say something, there'll never be another block. <laughs> so I think we've got to sit here and encourage folks as well. A third common parenting mistake is treating each child the same. Treating each child the same. Now, I know some people, well, I've got to, I treat all my kids just like. No, no, wait a minute. God doesn't make two kids exactly alike. We've got to study and know our children and know what applies to them. For instance, there's a verse that sometimes is misunderstood. I'm going to read it to you from the scriptures, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, let me tell you how we misread it. Sometimes we read it this way. Train up a child in the way you think they should go. And then when they're old, they will not depart from it. That's not what that verse says or what the Hebrew behind it says. What is implied in this is that I study my children. I find their unique God-given gifts and the way that God has molded them. And because I get to know them, I can sense a direction they need to go. So as I raise them, I raise them in the way that they should go. And that's how you do your parenting. Uh, now, let me give you some applications of that. First of all, and I, I hate to have to say this, but in our culture, you have to say this. There's a difference in the way you raise boys and raise girls. Um, a book that I read when I was raising my boys when they were teenagers is a great book by John Eldridge, Wild at Heart. And this is a quote from him. Society at large can't make up its mind about men. Having spent the last 30 years redefining masculinity into something more sensitive, safe, manageable, and well, feminine, it now berates men for not being men. Boys will be boys, they sigh, as though if a man were to truly grow up, he would forsake wilderness and wanderlust and settle down and be at home forever in Aunt Polly's parlor. Where are all the real men? Is regular fare for the talk shows and new books. You ask them to be women. 
I want to say that the result is a gender confusion never experienced at, a such, wide, at such a wide level in the history of the world. And I can see that. I saw that raising my kids. I see that raising my, or, or seeing my grandkids. I've often said that boys are like puppy dogs. You just got to expect them to wrestle in the living room. I mean, that's just being a boy. So you don't raise boys the same as you raise girls. But also when it talks about knowing each child, each child's personality should shape how we discipline them. You'll have some children that are strong-willed. And they're just gonna, and you're going to be saying, Lord, please give me enough affirmation to balance all the discipline. <laughs> but there's some children that if you just speak to them, their whole spirit's crushed. And it takes discernment to know how you apply that to each child. But also, an observant parent will notice different strengths in their children. I was strong academically. My brother could fix anything with his hands. I'm grateful that my parents saw the difference between the two of us. They backed me up in my desire to go to college. But when my brother made his choice, he decided instead to join the service. And they backed him up. He finished a full career in the service. One year in the Coast Guard, he was given once a year. There's one Coast Guardman that's given the highest award in the Coast Guard. He won that. So he was successful in his path, and I was successful in my path. But one more thing about, uh, one more common mistake that parents make. Some parents do not use age-appropriate expectations. A child at 6 or 12 or 16 should have different boundaries. If you have the same boundaries on your children at 12 that they had at 6, something is wrong with how you're raising them. If you have the same boundaries at 16 that they had at 12, something is wrong with your, the way you're raising them. And, and, and I think what we have, there's a term that's come alive in the last few years, helicopter parents. There, there's a sense in which that motherly desire, that desire that parents have to protect their children. I understand that when they're one. But there will come a time when you have to shift the priority of your parenting from protecting them to preparing them for life. And they can't be prepared for life if they're not given more and more leeway in their choices. And so you've got to be careful and say, now, I, I, Justin can't speak to this downstairs, so I'll speak to it up here. Because I've raised the kids past graduation from high school and into college years and such. So I have parents who have students that are away at college. or How much can... I demand of them, can I give you my rule of thumb? I can't point this to the Bible, but I think it makes sense. I told my children as they began to leave and get freedom, I said, I have as much say-so in your life as I buy. Uh, if I'm paying your tuition, this is not, not unreasonable for me to ask a few things from you. So if I'm paying your tuition, I expect you to be in church so I can see you on Sunday morning at my table for Sunday lunch. That was just an expectation in our town. That's, uh, that's what happened. I, I thought that's not unreasonable. I'm paying their tuition. Now, I know I can't macromanage you to be in at 10. No, you can't do that when they're not living under your roof. But, but you can have that adjusted type of expectations. Now, in conclusion, our parenting will enforce either a good or bad idea of our child's future relationship with God. One of the bad consequences of bad parenting is that they may think, if that's how the Heavenly Father is, I've learned that from my parents. I don't want anything to do with them. 
Luther himself found it difficult to pray the Lord's Prayer because he didn't like to say the words, Our Father, because his father was so severe. He said this, Spare the rod and spoil the child. It's true, but beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he does well. So we've got to have that proper balance that will have a good reflection upon the Heavenly Father. In the book Chicken Soup for the Soul, there's a poem by Diane, or a poetic measure of, by Diane Lumens. If I had my child to raise all over again, I'd build self-esteem first and the house later. I'd finger paint more and point the finger less. I would do less correcting and more connecting. I would take my eyes off my watch and watch with my eyes. I'd take more hikes and fly more kites. I'd stop playing serious and seriously play. I would run through more fields and gaze at more stars. I'd do more hugging and less tugging. Now, let me give you this as a conclusion. Parenting requires prayer and God's grace. Parenting requires prayer and God's grace. Why does parenting require prayer? Because ultimately it's only God who can shape their lives and change their hearts. And so I pray because I need God to do a work that only He can do. But I pray because I need wisdom. James 1.5, anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But raising kids often requires grace. And there are two ways that grace is used in the Bible. Grace is used as a synonym for God's strength. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And I'll be honest with you, folks. There are times when you reach the end of your ropes, either physically or emotionally, when you're parenting your children. And you have to come and say, God, i got to have some more strength. I, I, I can't go on like this. I need your strength. But also God's grace is used in reference to his forgiveness. And friends, every parent has regrets. God's grace helps you get past those regrets and move on to the present, to the tasks in front of your eyes. And may God bless this as you think about it. Lord, I put every person in this room in your hands. There's some who are scarred by parents that have a hard time trusting you. Let them see that you're the perfect heavenly father. There are some who they've looked back over their life as I've done many a time and they have so many regrets. Give them grace, Lord. Help them bring the affirmation they didn't bring or help them bring the instruction they didn't bring. Lord, I pray especially for those who are actively parenting at this moment. Bless them. Help them find the wisdom from your word to do the job you called them to do. And I pray this in Jesus' name.